There's a Paschal greeting that probably reaches back all the way maybe to the 5th century, possibly the 4th century. It is when the Greek Orthodox, Greek Orthodox Metropolitan would say to the church, He is risen, and then the church would respond, He is risen indeed. We do that three times here. He is risen. He is risen indeed. He is risen. He is risen. He is risen. We thank the Lord for it. Now let's read the story of the resurrected Jesus Christ. Would you stand please? I'll read together Mark chapter 16. Let's go to verse 1 and read down to verse 8. Mark's story of the empty tomb. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God stands forever. Let's begin in verse 1 of Mark 16. Here's the story. When the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome brought spices so that they might go and anoint him. And very early on the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb. They were saying to one another, Who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? And looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled back. It was very large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man on the right side dressed in a white robe, and they were alarmed. And he said to them, Do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him? But go and tell his disciples and Peter. Go and tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. And they went out and they fled from the tomb for trembling and astonishment had seized them. And they said nothing to anyone for they were afraid. Join me as we pray. Father in heaven, by the power of the Holy Spirit, to the glory of your Son Jesus, I ask that you would give hope to your people. I only ask that by your Spirit you would minister to the hearts of people that even today need hope. We believe it, Lord. We trust trust your word. We know what you've done in our own lives. And, And so this morning we just actually just need you. Lord, I I need you. And so help us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. may be seated. There are four gospel writers, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and each of them does their own story. Matthew likes to tell the story of the gospel as he makes sure that we understand that Jesus fulfilled all of the law and the prophets. Luke likes to tell it, giving details in ways, uh, details that we don't see in the other gospel writers. John elevates our eyes up to see the deity of Christ. But Mark, Mark speaks in clipped sentences. Read the Gospel of Mark, it is the shortest of the Gospels. There are no rhetorical flourishes, there are no spiritual embellishments, there are just Facts. To get the context, he has just ended chapter 15, and at the end of chapter 15, there is darkness. There are only three lonely, brave women standing there. 
These women can't let go. Mary Magdalene, a woman of means, married the mother of James, who will soon lose her son to martyrdom, and Salome, which we know nothing about. They can't let go. They followed Jesus in His life. They contributed, they contributed financially to His ministry. They stood there. Chapter 15, go read it. They stood there and watched Him. They watched Him die. They followed the, the guards to the tomb. Mark turns the page and he brings us here in Mark chapter 16. And now he takes us there to those women as we watch as they have come now to give the last full measure of their love and devotion to Jesus. They're going to prepare his body for the long night laying in that grave. We've stumbled up on a ghoulish scene. Chapter 16, nothing is as it seems. You know the story. That's why you're here. You know the story. You know that the stone is not in the way. That the man inside is not dead. That hope is not lost. That, that Christ is not defeated. That His followers are not doomed and death has not won. Now, what we're about to examine for the next few moments we have together, what we're about to examine is the story that has given life to our movement. This story has given meaning to our souls. I want you to have strength. This story has given strength to thousands upon thousands of Christians through the centuries. And today, really, I just, we're just going to stay and look at it. We don't do it enough in Western thought. We're just going to stay and read it, look at it, think on it. I want you to be able to bask in the hope of the resurrection. I want you to live your life with hope. I, I know that you face things, I know that you're in the middle of them. I know that many of you have been hurt terribly. But I want you, even in the middle of that pain, to be able to rejoice in the love of God that gives you hope, the love of God that is found in Jesus Christ. I want you to be, I want you to be strengthened by the grace of God found in Jesus. And we must look at the empty tomb and the cross. We must look at the cross and the empty tomb. And, and just to know that, that God's grace, by God's grace you can stand. By God's grace you're going to make it. By His resurrection things are not like they seem. And so quietly where you are today is a day for you to... to to celebrate and rejoice and to have hope because the resurrection of Jesus is our hope. It's why we worship on Sunday. Kyler said it. The resurrection of Jesus is our hope. Let's talk about hope for a little bit. Let's just go through. There are lots of things that you would see here. Many of you will see some things that I won't point out today. There are a couple of things that I want you to pay 
particular attention to. Here's the first one. Number one, hope gives us a new religion. A new religion. John Mark, who wrote this, John Mark is his name. He's mentioned in Acts. His, by the way, his life is a, is a picture of redemption. Here's a man that really could have amounted to nothing, and yet Barnabas went back and got him, and now he's written for us a gospel. John Mark opens this great chapter with a time stamp. Do you see it in verse 1? And when he put that time stamp on it in verse 1, he marks a change for us. This is what he says in verse 1. Take a look at it. When the Sabbath, this is important, when the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Salome, they bought spices that they might anoint him. Here they are, these godly women. These godly women that had watched the crucifixion, they were leaving their homes in the dark. They had a mission to perform. J.C. Ryle, as he looked at this, by the way, anything you see by J.C. Ryle, you should read it. J.C. Ryle is a great English bishop of another day. He said that these women were driven by the power of strong love to Christ, this strange mix of, of courage and affection and devotion. Why women? It's no accident that there are th these three women going to anoint the body of Jesus. Remember now the disciples, the 12 men, the disciples, one of them hung himself, Judas, he's gone. Peter has devastated his career, he's gone. The others have dispersed. Those men are, are they're, they're hiding like wounded animals. Consumed with disappointment. So Mark takes us to the women. Get it in your mind now. Stay there. Stay there. Friday, Jesus is nailed to the cross and he dies Friday. He dies an agonizing. Go read chapter 15. The, the world goes dark. The, the, the temple curtain is split from top to bottom. Now Saturday. Friday's the cross. Saturday. Saturday was the Jewish Sabbath, and on this Saturday in the text, this holy Saturday, Jesus rested dead in the tomb. That's important because on this Saturday, He has now fulfilled all the law of Moses. Remember what Jesus said? I did not come to abolish the law. I have come to fulfill it. In the story, the three women here, Mary and Mary and Salome, they felt as if they are still carrying the weight of the law. They are under the law. They had to wait till the Sabbath day was over before they could get the necessary supplies to go and complete the grim task of anointing the corpse of Jesus. It's important we don't realize that we've forgotten it. It's important to remember the restrictive, legalistic nature of Sabbath law. You couldn't do business. You couldn't make visits. You couldn't even cook meals. No way any Baptist could keep the Sabbath. You couldn't even cook meals. We, we, we forget this, that before Jesus came... Trying to live like a child of God meant this strict observance of all the laws of God, which nobody can do. 
more than that, more than that. It was the feel. I mean, Paul tells us what the law is designed to do. The law is designed to drive us, to, to show us we can't keep it. The law does its intended work. It's a, it's a constant reminder that we all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The law is a reminder that we need somebody to take our place. We need someone to actually fulfill the law for us. We don't just need someone to die for us. We actually need someone that can come and live for us. And the simple sentence in verse 1, that timestamp that Mark gives us in verse 1, it's a reminder that anything that is works-based is a different religion. Anything that relies on karma, anything that relies on you doing good so God will love you, that's, that's darkness, that's legalism, that's hopelessness. That's verse 1. That's Sabbath. Come with me to verse 2. Verse 2 is Sunday. There in verse 2, the resurrection changes the very religion and changes the day. This is why we go to church on Sunday. Every single Sunday is nothing more than a reminder of this Sunday right here. Mark tells us in verse 2 that very early on the first day of the week, the very first day, which is a Sunday, you see, ours, let me speak to you Christians, brothers and sisters, ours is not a religion of, hey, look, if you keep the law, you will be saved. No, ours is a religion of Jesus kept the law and Jesus will save you. Think of it like this. On Friday... When Jesus Christ died on the cross and He said, it is finished. What He meant was, as the temple curtain was torn from top to bottom, because God did it, as it was torn and the Holy of Holies is opened up, it is finished. What He was saying is, not only is sin paid for, but the law is fulfilled. And then that statement on Friday is punctuated on Saturday by Jesus spending the entire Sabbath at rest. Now Mark timestamps it, tells us now on the first day of the week. The first day of the week is the Lord's Day. And every single Sunday we celebrate legalism being shattered by grace. Every single Sunday we gather together to worship the God of grace who has loved us in Jesus. Sunday means a new day. These three women right here, they didn't know it. <clears throat> but they're getting ready to experience the very first new day. A new day, not a restriction, a new day of grace. This is why we gather together. This is why... This is why we do the structure we did this weekend. So, so Good Friday service, if you watched it online or if you were there, the Good Friday service should always have a feel of somberness as we contemplate the death of Jesus on the cross. There should be significant depth in that. And it should not be a time when we 
rejoice. We, we know rejoicing is coming. That's why Friday, if you go and you feel that service, that's why it feels like that. It's, it's by design. Saturday's quiet. Sunday is the day that God raised Jesus from the dead. And every single Sunday is a reminder of this Sunday. When we gather together to bask in the grace of God and the love of God and to celebrate the new day that God has given us in Jesus. This is why we celebrate on Sunday. Why? Because we were dead in sin, and when God raised Jesus from the grave, He made us alive together with Christ, and He raised us up in Him. It's by grace. It's by grace that you are saved through faith in Christ and only Christ. We don't live our lives trying to keep God's law so that He will love us. We live our lives of obedience from the love of God. We do that because, because He loves us and because we love Him. Every other religion, including every other religion, including religions that call themselves Christians and yet live by legalism, every other religion is man reaching up to God. Ours is one of grace. It is God reaching down in love to you. He does that in the person of Jesus. And we see this, this glorious story of the resurrection of Jesus, and it gives us hope. Hope does something. It gives us a brand new religion. You need this religion of hope. Let me give you another thing to consider that you'll find in the text, number two, about hope. Hope not only gives us a new religion, hope gives us a new grounding. It gives you ground to stand on. Look at the three women there, verses 1, 2, and 3. The three women, they're walking to the grave of Jesus and they realize that they got a problem. You see it in verse 3? They were saying, here's the conversation they're having. They were saying to one another, who will roll away the stone for us in the entrance? Mark tells us at the end of verse 4, that stone is very large, very heavy. They could not have done it. They've got an obstacle. What they didn't know was this obstacle that they're coming up against, that they're worried so much about, by the way, won't be there. How often do we worry about things that don't actually ever happen? And our worry is weightier than the problem itself. That's one point you could get here, but it's not the point I'm making this morning. But it is there. How often the obstacle that they were worried about becomes an opportunity for, for God to display His glory. He did this because of the resurrection. We, we've heard a thousand times before that Jesus rolled this, that God rolled the stone away, not so Jesus could get out, but so we could see in. To experience the power of God raising Jesus from the dead. The power of God raising Jesus from the dead is the same power that it took to raise you when you were dead in sin and God raised you. God rolls the stone back. <clears throat> it's an obstacle and He takes it away. It's an obstacle. Man, many of you have those kind of obstacles. You've come into them this year. You've worried about those things. You've thought about what's going to happen. What if? You've asked what if a hundred times. How am I going to fix this? It's an obstacle. And, and in the hands of God, that obstacle becomes an opportunity for God to, dispe to display His glory. 
What does, what does the resurrection mean? How do, so besides the fact that God raised Jesus from the dead, how does it apply? What does it do for me? What does it do for my soul? The resurrection. It means you see the phone call from the doctor that gives the diagnosis, that you see that diagnosis differently than everyone else. The resurrection gives you cause to be able to handle it. The resurrection changes how you see the sudden death of someone that you love. As painful as it is, it doesn't necessarily mean the pain. It's not taking the pain away. The pain is still there, but you are able to withstand it because of the resurrection. The resurrection makes it so that you look differently on your past. You can turn around and see your past. And, and although you are ashamed of the things that you did back there, you can realize that God in His providence used every bit of that to show what a trophy of grace you are. All of these obstacles, everything that's changed, you should pick up the... You should pick up the resurrection like a beautiful diamond and look through that prism. And as you look through that prism, it changes how you see everything. You know him well, probably at least you know his song, Amazing Grace. It has sort of become the national hymn in the United States, written by an Englishman. It's funny, if people that sing that hymn, Amazing Grace, if they knew what that hymn said, they might not would sing it so enthusiastically. John Newton was a man who was a blasphemer. He was a, an African slave trader. He was a terrible man. He was raised by a godless father and a godly mother that very early in his life taught him the catechism. Uh, the Westminster Confession of Faith taught him how to say the catechism. By the time he was five, his mother was dead and he started following his dad. His daddy was a ship captain. He learned the trade. John Newton became a captain of slave ships and he would sail the middle passage between Africa and Charleston, South Carolina. And he was a terrible man. Unspeakable atrocities I would never mention in church. On a scary night in a storm, God converted him. He remembered the things that his mother taught him when he was five years old. And he called out to God and God saved him. And his life that had been such an obstacle to God's glory, such an obstacle to the gospel, his previous life made him such a trophy of God's grace. And he wrote the song, Amazing Grace. Here's what the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus does. It takes your life that has been filled with obstacles or maybe your life that has been an obstacle and he takes it and it's part of God's plan and in Christ he makes you, turns that obstacle into an opportunity for God's grace. That's hope. That's, a, that's resurrection hope. Hope is a new religion. Hope is, is a new grounding. Let me tell you what else hope does. I'll give you one or two more. Here's a third one. Hope does something with panic. Are you, are you prone to panic? You like to hit the panic button? Do you sit on the panic button? Is your life the panic button? Hope takes panic and turns it into praise. Let me show you where I get that. You'll notice in verses 4, 5, and 6. Let's follow the story. Listen to the story unfold. Let me read verses 4, 5, and 6. 
They got to the tomb in verse 4, and looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled back. Okay, the, the stone's not there. It was very large. It's open. What do we do now? Verse 5. They entered the tomb. They saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe, and they were alarmed. You're going to see that a lot. And he said to them, Do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He is risen. He is not here. And then the angel says, Come and see where they laid him. Let's think about this just for a little bit. Verses 5 and 6 tell us that they were alarmed. They were stunned. They panicked. They were amazed. They were scared out of their mind. You drop down to verse 8. When they got out of that tomb, they went away. They were quiet. They didn't say anything to anybody because they were scared to death. And notice what the angel says to them in verse 6. Come to verse 6. The angel says, don't, don't be. Hey, look, don't, don't be. Don't, don't be scared. Everything is as it should be. In light of the resurrection, what we panic over, the problem's still there, what we panic over actually becomes praise. And then in verse 6, look at this doctrinal statement in verse 6. You want the gospel? It's right there in verse 6. The angel gives us three, I'll just give you three, three things that should turn our panic into praise. Here's the first one. He tells us that it is Jesus of Nazareth. Verse 6, do you see it? He said to them, do not be alarmed. You are looking for Jesus of Nazareth. That's the first time Mark uses that whole title, Jesus of Nazareth. The name Jesus would be Yahweh saves. It's the same as Joshua in the Old Testament, Yahweh saves. Mary would name that baby Jesus because He came to save His people, me and you, from our sins. John Newton, John Newton, who knew a little bit about Amazing Grace, as he died, he said there are these two great truths, two of them. I am a great sinner and Jesus is a great Savior. Jesus of Nazareth. But the angel gives another descriptor. Jesus of Nazareth, look at the other phrase, who was crucified. Now today is, about, today is about the resurrection. We celebrate Easter. We celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. But let us always do so standing in the shadow of the cross. Let us not ever wander very far from what actually happened at the cross. You see, at the cross of Jesus, this is what we believe as Christians. At the cross of Jesus, Jesus took every ounce of punishment and anger and judgment from God on behalf of sinners that He will save. You should write the word substitute. He is my substitute. The cross of Jesus, why it's so important to us, the cross of Jesus is where the judgment of God meets the love of God. The judgment of God is absorbed by Jesus. He takes every ounce, every ounce of judgment for every sinner that will be saved. The judgment of God is absorbed by Jesus and Jesus says it is finished. And when it is finished, the Sabbath is kept, Sunday comes and there at the resurrection, we experience the love of God and, and the grace of God. Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. 
Look at that reason to praise. Read the whole verse 6. You, you seek Jesus of Nazareth who is crucified. He is risen. He's not here. In spite of everything that you've been through in your life, and a lot of you have been through quite a bit in a short amount of time, in spite of everything that you've been through in your life, what you have is resurrection. The resurrection of Jesus gives us this deep hope, this deep strength that promises to carry you through. Now look, we, you don't ever preach a long sermon on, on, on Easter Sunday. I know we're running out of time, but, but I'd like to give you, I want to give you one last point about the resurrection. I think it's important for some of us here. It's a fourth one. Let's talk about hope. You know what hope is good for? Hope is especially good for backsliders. For backsliders. Do you see where I get that? You probably already see it. It's down in verse 7. Verse 7 is my favorite verse in this whole passage. Verse 7 is my favorite because of the wonderful grace of God that is packed into that little phrase. Do you see it? The angel tells the women, go tell his disciples... And Peter. Peter was the, the natural leader, the mouthpiece. Peter was the intrepid, the brave one. Peter made the promise publicly and was shamed publicly when he wept outside after denying Jesus three times. We ain't heard a word out of Peter since Mark chapter 14. Even Mark doesn't mention him. What a, what a, what a picture of grace. Peter was one of those guys <clears throat> that early on in, in, in life, you, you know he's going to be something. You can feel it. You, you see that he's going to amount to something. And even Peter feels like that. Feels like he's going to be shifted into leadership. He's going to do something with his life. But it goes completely off the rails. He denied Jesus, but this is grace. Jesus didn't deny him. The resurrected Jesus made a point. Send an angel and tell those women, get the disciples together, I'll meet them in Galilee, and make sure Peter. Here, in the, here at the field of Peter's defeat, Jesus calls him. There are some of us in this room right now that identify with Peter. I want you to hear, <clears throat> even if you denied him, he doesn't deny you. Jesus restores. Jesus forgives. Jesus strengthens. Jesus makes it right. I thank God that the angel said, go tell his disciples and Peter. I, I, want you to, I want you to have hope. I want you to bask in the crucifixion and the resurrection of Jesus that gives us this hope. I want you to see that your religion, Christianity, is one of, of hope and grace and love. That this hope is not 
just something for you to look forward to that's grounding. This gives you the ability to look at difficult situations and not go into panic, but instead praise God for. And this hope is especially good for backsliders like Peter. If you're a Christian today, you should, we walk out here today, you, you should... Um, you should sense that hope. You should celebrate the hope that you have in Jesus and be thankful. Today's a day for you to be thankful. If you're, if you're not a Christian, you can have the hope of God found in Jesus by putting your faith. Turn from your sin. This is, this is what you would say, God save me, not by anything I've done, but by the death of Jesus on the cross in my place. Save me. I turn from my sin. Save me. The resurrection is our hope. Will you join me as we pray together? Let's close out our time. I'm going to pray, then we'll sing some more. Just bow your head with me for a moment as we pray. For those of you here that are not sure, you think, okay, I'm not sure if I'm a Christian or not. We're going to be around here today. I want you to to go and talk to one of our pastors and to clarify. Or maybe set up an appointment. This is not a rushed conversation. This is one for you to be sure about. If you're not a Christian today, then you should pray as I guided you just a moment ago. God save me based on what Jesus has done. I believe that Jesus died on the cross for my sins, that God raised him from the dead, and I repent of those sins and put my faith in Jesus. You ask God to save you. Father, I do pray you would save people. Pray that you would save them in the name of Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit. I pray that today you will minister to the hearts of believers, basking in the hope of the resurrection. Give us a deep joy. Minister to your people, Lord. We thank you for it. We thank you for grace. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.